0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome to the Hidden Artists Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane joined as always by sean martin who you can find on twitter at sean martin nfl and how you doing sean
0: hey good to be back mark another weekend here in austin texas summertime weather is out and about i guess the official uh start a summer date hit the calendar which is always kind of an arbitrary thing in the south you know this too from living there it's like well it's been feeling like summer for months so whatever that date just comes and goes it's like the 10 day bit that we did last week it's like most people that just comes and goes same thing with the start of summer down here but to know that it's officially summer is pretty nice
1: yeah i guess that's only relevant for people further north in the hemisphere because i mean i gotta tell you Growing up down south, yeah, who cares? I mean, summer started in May, May 1st.
0: I mean, the really special part is that even football season feels like summer. So you take those two things, you know, that I, like, grew up on, summer times at the Beats, which were so special growing up at home, and then football, and you put those two seasons together, basically, as far as how it feels, and that's why football season is so special here. What was, like, your, like, mark of the start of summer? You know, was it, like, a concert or, like, you know, a lot of tours that, like, schedule the same times to go different places or like an event i feel like everybody has like an artificial start of summer type thing where like once they go to this or once they see this happening in town they know it's summertime what was yours growing up
1: i guess it'd be memorial day weekend you know just because it's a three-day weekend and it's kind of like the start of uh summer vacation from school
0: yeah it's a good pick and now we got july 4th coming up so All the uh, patriotic three-day weekend holidays.
1: Yep, and uh, just like it was written in Ecclesiastes and sang by the birds, you know, you got a time to plant and a time to reap, a time to love and a time to hate, and a time to hire in the NFL, and a time to fire. Well, the time to hire happened in January 2020, for Mike McCarthy with the Dallas Cowboys. So now we're just kind of waiting around uh, rather morbidly for Mike McCarthy to get fired. Um, If you look at Pro Football Focus, over the past week they had their five coaches that are on the hot seat. Now, Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat as soon as he took the job because that's just the way it is with the Dallas Cowboys. But nevertheless...
0: Can we say that after the coach before him got 10 years without ever making a conference championship game now? We knew they weren't going to do quite that again, but like it was still a 10-year tenure under Jason Garrett where it's like, okay, the next coach might think that he has some stability here. And then McCarthy has almost said anything but because he's lost a quarterback at times and he's had a suffer defensive coordinators, even though every day on Quinn around is probably what saved his job even up to this point. But he still probably thought that it would be more stable than what he's dealt with now.
1: Jason Garrett was on the hot seat after the 2013 season and then every season thereafter. (laughs) Like, you know, and a lot of the Cowboys hot seat has to do with the nature in which Jimmy Johnson mutually decided to leave the Cowboys after a Super Bowl win, for goodness sakes, and the two-year tenure of day of um chan gailey so that's really just kind of engendered this perception that you're always on the hot seat because jerry jones is looking for a splash or looking for the next shiniest object that's out there so that's where a lot of this perception comes from fairly or unfairly to mike mccarthy
0: Yeah, I was trying to look at, you know, the schedule-wise as far as where this season makes sense to potentially move on from them. If things are going south, of course, with, you know, the way these games are playing out. And I almost kind of wanted to, you know, off-season shock-jock this and get a headline out of finding a stretch early in the season where I think you see a stretch of games similar to last year where... I mean, last year it was forced upon you because of the Prescott injury, where you knew you were going to have to lean on the defense, but you saw games where that was going to be possible, and it certainly played out that way, and the defense kept you in those games. Cooper Rush did a great job filling in, and you were able to stay winning and in, uh, in the divisional race against the Eagles. So I see a similar stretch of games where it's like early in the year, you, you could still lean on the defense and take some of the pressure off Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheimer's new offense, when you play teams like the Cardinals early on and New England potentially with some of the struggles they've gone through with Mac Jones. And and then it quickly turns into, you know, games you're going to need the offense to come around for. So that's where I wanted to maybe put this earlier than you would expect when you look at games like San Francisco against the Chargers and Kellen Moore on a Monday night, the Rams game, you're still going to have to put up points and then of course Philadelphia. But then you look at the stretch after that and it's like, okay, you're not going to fire McCarthy doing that because there's winnable games right after some tougher games potentially with Sanford and Los Angeles. You got the Giants. You got Carolina on the road. You got Washington. So I pushed it down later to a stretch in the season where you're back to needing the offense to play well, and it's against playoff teams from a year ago and expected playoff teams going into this year, and it's late enough in the year to know, you know, what this offense is going to be. It's the same point in every year under Carol Moore where we were asking, okay, what's the next step for this offense? And now McCarthy – We'll have to answer to the same thing. So I put it at, you know, week 13 versus Seattle seems to always be a close game against them. Week 14 versus Philadelphia at home, of course, that's a Sunday night game. And then we all know about the two AFC East games, back-to-back playoff teams from a year ago that faced off against each other. Week 15 at Buffalo, week 16 at Miami. So somewhere in that stretch if the offense is doing the same thing it, it's been doing the past couple of years, where it's sputtering against these teams and the defense is having a hard time keeping you in the game against the likes of Geno Smith, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa. However it looks in this quarterback gauntlet late in the year, then, you know, I think that's the reasonable reasonable point to start discussing if uh, you know, is gonna be a mid season or late season coach firing. But yeah, I don't think it's early in the year where You can lean on the defense the same way you did last year and even get through some potential rough patches in games like the 49ers and Chargers because of what happens on the schedule after those games. So I look at it as late in the year. And then, of course, even second to last week of the regular season, you play Detroit, who could be a surprise team in the NFC North. So that's another potential game that you could have to put up points and see what you do against Jared Goff. And if it's all falling apart at that point, Indiana McCarthy would have a hard time saving his job. Uh, you know, after a potential Saturday night loss to uh, the Detroit Lions. It still feels weird to say that game's on a Saturday, but yeah, Saturday, December 30th at home in week 17.
1: I think that it's really kind of a set of combinations for McCarthy to get fired in the middle of the year. Here's what I mean. So I think that the only stretch where he could get fired, would be over that Week 7 bye week. And not just because it's a bye week, per se. I think it just doesn't make any sense to fire him um, at any point from Weeks 8 to 18. Because Dallas could potentially be in the thick of things throughout that stretch. You just don't want to shake anything up like that. I don't know that it would produce any benefit. However, it's the bye week in week seven where I think something could happen. And it'd be like this. If Dallas is two and four going into that bye week, and it doesn't matter who those two wins are against, or even if they're one in five, who that one win is against. Um, although I don't think a winning streak going into the bye would necessitate a firing. I think that, um, you know, just uh, I think that's where it, you would look at it is during week seven.
0: I know we did this. And I think it's the somewhat of a previous segment on a past episode. But you know we talked about the 49ers game. It's like, is it that critical in terms of can they respond from if they lose that game? Do the you know demons of the last two playoff losses creep back in and just wreck the next couple of weeks with important games coming up? The bye is that chance to regroup two weeks after it. But in between that, you play like I said, Kellen Moore and the Chargers again. So. Yeah, in that scenario, you know you're potentially off back-to-back losses that are kind of emotional for this locker room. You're putting it to the test as far as just how much leadership you have in there. And I do think this team passes that test with you know flying colors as far as Prescott as a leader and Demarcus Lawrence and Jaron Coos and even Quinn and Parsons as a young guy. So you can go on and on about you know this locker room not falling apart.
1: I think if it's two and four, the division is getting away from them with a clear front runner. And they come off of a loss going into that week seven and the defense is doing everything they can and it's the offense's fault. I think that's where it happens because I know it's easy and fun. And who's
0: the fourth team you're losing to in this first six week stretch. So like, I'll, I'll give you Sanford and Los Angeles back to back into the bye, and we'll all have a miserable bye week, but you know, Arizona, I know you kind of, got on me for saying that they've struggled against the Cardinals lately, but, you know, I think we can handle that and make that game a win. And then, so you're down to both New York teams and New England. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Jets would be, you know, which would be another McCarthy loss to Rogers. So, you know, all before the bye, you could have a loss to Rogers, a loss to your playoff team that's knocked you out the last two years, and Kellen Moore, all before the bye week this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It would take something like that. And a team running away with the East. The defense is doing everything they can, but the offense is sputtering. And like I said, it's fun. Oh, uh, they can't beat the ghost of Christmas past in the 49ers and the ghost of Christmas coulda with the Chargers, the ghost of Christmas woulda with the Rams, and ghost of Christmas present with the Eagles. But it's really that kind of stretch going into the bye where – I think that they might try something. After that, I think they just ride it out, unless it's particularly egregious, which I don't think it would be. I think it'd steady out and then they finish eight and nine, heaven forbid.
0: And also to catch the 49ers games, it's too early in the year to, if you do win that thing, and you know we'll flip this thing on a positive side. If you win it, you're, it's too early to really hang your hat and be like, oh, watch out for the Cowboys come playoff time this year. Like we can already go ahead and punch their ticket. They just beat the 49ers on the road in time. Like there's still so much that's going to happen after that game. So it, it would be a nice win and one you can look back to if you do see them again in the playoffs. It almost feels inevitable somehow that there's going to be another Cowboys 49ers playoff game along the way. But regardless if that happens or not, you know, it's too early in the year to for that to be a landmark type of win to really save your season. You still have to go prove it against really good teams. The Los Angeles teams back to back sandwich between the buy and then a big stretch of divisional games right there in the middle of the year. That's going to define your season. Really?
1: Yeah. And I think you raise a good point about beating the 49ers and that you can't really say, Oh, the Cowboys are back. You know, they're so effing back as you know, that's a meme that goes around. Um, it's it's a point in Cowboys history, Sean, where I don't know. Is there anything that they can do? Um and and I'm talking in a regular season. Is there anything they can do within a regular season that engenders any confidence that this season is gonna be different? than the past 26 years? Or do you think that the franchise has lost so much credibility that people aren't going to take the Cowboys seriously until really late January?
0: Yeah, and unless Mike McCarthy's offense just does something that you know historically a Mike McCarthy offense hasn't done, of course, with Aaron Rodgers, he put up big numbers, but unless they're like... St- the talk of the league as far as being a high-flying offense and they're just throwing 50-yard touchdowns with ease to C D L M the week in, week out, and they're the greatest show on turf. Unless it's that, yeah, I don't think we can talk about this team being anything but potentially the same old Cowboys of struggling in the playoffs until they really prove it down the stretch in January. I know know, you're kind of a guru with uh, past Cowboys schedules and what week everything was, so we might put that to the test a bit here, but I looked at all the playoff years, under Dak Prescott and kind of tried to find where at least I thought that landmark win was. And then of course we all know where these seasons ended only one of them in the divisional round and the two of them in in the divisional round and the the rest being a first round playoff exit. So 2016, I think is a pretty easy pick, right? It's that Pittsburgh game, the back and forth on the road against Roethlisberger and Prescott hangs in there and Ezekiel Elliott scores the walk-off touchdown. And it's one of the more memorable, memorable games, of their time to get and out of the earlier is no longer with the team of course. So twenty sixteen that was week ten. And then that team still falls short in the very first playoff game against the Packers. Twenty eighteen I picked week fourteen. Overtime win against the Eagles. Amari Cooper makes a difference in it. You're thinking that this pass offense is going to have enough and, you know, the Cooper trade was the right idea. And the week before that game actually you can add that they won on the road at the Saints thirteen to ten. So you kinda had Different types of wins. You were selling that you could win a low-scoring game. You were selling that you could put up points and battle it out in overtime. And that season fell short as well, of course. And then 2019, kind of hard to pick. Early in the year, I went with, at New England, the CDLM walk-off touchdown, 39, 29, or 35, 29. And, you know, Lamb scores that touchdown. And the offense wasn't the same since, even though that was so early in the year, week six. The offense never found its footing after Lamb crossed the pile on there. So that season ended in disappointment. And in 2022, I picked two games. Week 11 at Minnesota was an easy one. Tony Pollard had a huge day, really changed the course of how the Cowboys are looking at the backfield. To this day, now Pollard you know, expected to have more games like that. So he goes off at the Vikings. They win 40-3. to And that was an offensive showing. And at Week 14, you had the drubbing of the Colts, 54-19. to where the turnover chain, just, uh, you know, streak just got going and Dan Quinn's defense really just turned it up in a way that they haven't shown in many other games quite to that level, 54 to 19 against the Colts. So all those games combined were ones where you fought this team was finally going to show something and that they proved that they could be a contender. And we know none of those seasons even reached the conference championship game.
1: That's what I'm saying is they've had good moments. They've had, just uh, games that kind of show this year is going to be different. I mean, even in the Romo era, for example, they beat the Saints on the road undefeated, thirteen and zero. And Dallas was on a two-game losing streak at eight and five. Um, they beat the Eagles and rested control of the NFC East in week fifteen in 2014 um, and were undefeated on the road that season, but they never Mm -hmm. got past the divisional round as has been the case since 1996. And I just think even with kind of late season wins, like they even had over the Eagles, although it was Gardner Minshew, the late season statement games I just don't think make enough of a statement because of the paragraph of disappointment that's been the last quarter century. So, you know, you talk about previous Cowboys seasons, Cowboys fans back in the late 60s, early 70s, were so uh, conditioned from losing... In the NFC, I mean, the NFL championship games against the Packers in 66 and 67, then losing to the Browns in the NFL divisional in 68 and 69, that they just figured Craig Morton and the Cowboys were going to find a way to mess it up en route to Super Bowl V. They just figured each game was going to be the disappointment, which Super Bowl Five ended up being. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's almost like they've got to just go out and do it. I think that there's never going to be a point that anyone's going to stop vocally, demonstrably doubting the Cowboys because of what's happened the last 25 years.
0: Yeah, and you almost wish the makeup of this team was to be able to flip that into a positive. You know, we we do talk about some other teams at times where it's like, Oh, they don't want to be the one, you know, in the spotlight. They're fine just, you know, sneaking up on teams, but the Cowboys are never gonna sneak up on anybody. I mean, they have too many established veterans. McCarthy is still a well respected coach, so if things go well this season and the hot seat talk calms down and you have that going for him. Of course, Dan Quinn is one of the most respected defensive coaches that could have been a head coach years ago at this point, sticking with the Cowboys and you know, what the league thinks of Dak Prescott is pretty evident, and CDIM is a known name at receiver. I think that has a lot to do with, you know, fantasy football culture and how big that is and how much of a volume of targets he gets compared to other wide receiver ones. So CDIM is known, and, you know, of course, fans will, casual fans will take some adjusting to not seeing Ezekiel Elliott out there, but Tony Pollard will make a name for himself. I have no doubt about that. So you almost wish they could beat a team that takes full advantage of everything you just outlined, or it's like, you know, it's fine if you don't talk about us as contenders. We know what we have. We're going to just roll in there and catch teams off guard and, and beat them. But really, it's them being caught off guard in these big playoff games, which is frustrating. You know, it's the 49ers with Brock Purdy being able to do enough to, to beat you, even though you had them quarterback advantage in that game and couldn't make it happen of course losing Pollard was a big part of that game but still couldn't make it happen and golden an opportunity to, to do so and you know the offense falling flat late in the year despite all those names I just rattled off so yeah you wish I could be the team that was you know had that kind of to steal a baseball term you know small market steal do so type of thing but it's just not the team that's going to be able to do that they know that and it's a for better or worse type of thing and I don't know you know, what the answer to that in football terms is as far as, well, you know you're not going to be that team. How do you you know, build the roster as such so that you can still just go out there and do it? And you just have to do it. Like you said, you just have to be able to adjust on offense. They have a new play call this year, so there, there is some hope and some expectation of that. You have to adjust on offense. You can't be doing the same thing for 17, 18 weeks, and we have to hope this defense somehow lives up to every bit of you know, the hype that they have because this team has had games where – when I was looking for all those examples I just gave of different games where you thought this team was a contender and it didn't work out, you know, it's like when i've been on 19-9, lost to the Chiefs. It's like we always talk about this team consistently, the defense being the problem. It's like they've had games where the defense, even before they had the personnel they have now, still stirred on its head and the offense was the problem. So I'm not trying to, you know, oversay that the offense was consistently the problem because they have plenty of big games too, but. They have more games than I think fans will remember and realize where it was on the offensive side of the ball to do more and you could have had a better outcome. And certainly the playoff games have played out that way, too. So that's the thing that needs to change. And we know who most of the main players in offense are going to be. We know what the league thinks of Prescott needing to get more playoff experience or wins under his belt to really be... Wideway considered up there with the other NFC contending quarterbacks, which is wide open right now, now that Rodgers is gone and Brady is gone and all that. So it's right there for the taking for Prescott. And he's the, you know, it falls mostly on his shoulders, I think, as far as proving this team could be any different.
1: Yes. And one way that they could get there is by evaluating their roster and seeing who would make for great draft capital in the future. Everybody's got to cut down to 53-man roster at the end of preseason, and the Cowboys are no exception. So, Sean, who are some veterans on the roster that you would be willing yeah, so to trade I have three names at the end of preseason. i asterisk
0: this right off the top by saying the names that I'm excited to see what they do with the pads on at camp. So they're kind of like, you know, of course you have to trade something to to get something. You know, I mentioned fantasy football already on this. So I'll say that that skewed fans' perception of a trade where they think they can just, you know, sip off a player that's played two snaps in a preseason game. It's like, what do you mean we can't get a starter back for this? You know, it's not how it works. So these are players with different levels of experience, different abilities to help this current Cowboys roster. And I think most of them ultimately will be here. And I would say the likelihood of any three of them being traded is um, is pretty low. But again, they're worthy enough where you can get something in return and fill out another spot that's thin on your roster if injuries happen or those types of things. So for starters, I have Matt farniak I really do like his consideration to be a starting left guard for this team. But if somehow it doesn't work out, we know they have so many other names they're trying, including swing some of these tackles and Terrence and steel And so somehow to shuffle left guard, leaves out Matt Farniok. I think someone else can look at him as a potential starter on the interior with good flexibility and try to get the most out of him while he's still on a rookie contract. So Matt Farniok is my first one, even though, again, I'll reiterate that I almost prefer to see him as a starter on this team. And I don't know if he's being talked about by many other Cowboys fans as a potential starter right now, but he should be. Sean McKean at tight end, that's, of course, if Soonmaker and Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot all kind of push him down the depth chart and you have an excess at tight end where you don't think you're going to have much of a role for McKean. There's another team that really values you know blocking out of a tight end, maybe the 49ers in their run game or the Chargers of Kellen and that familiarity with him want to get Sean McKean, so is there a market for him to be able to get Another player on offense that's going to play more snaps than you know, what could be your fourth tight end, depending on how your rookie second-round draft pick works out. And then uh, defensive line on the shuffle with Dan Quinn, wanting to use all these guys. Does he really have a spot for Chauncey Golston? He only played a season-high 28 snaps in Week 6 against the Eagles. That was a 39% of the team's defensive snaps in that game, and that was his high watermark. So he feels like a guy who makes the most of his snaps, of course, and makes some splash plays. But... You know, can Billy Fahoko take that role? Can Neville Gallimore and also Odigizu- Odigizua earn all of the snaps on the interior to the point where Golston doesn't have any defensive tackle snaps and he has to go out and play end? And if he's playing end, does he really have enough of a role around Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and Sam Williams, who we talked about last week, and Dorian Armstrong to play any of those spots? So he's a rotational guy. You don't want to mess up the rotation too much, but is there enough snaps with the Golston where you don't value but he could be in a trade package to get something else back. So all potential starters slash uh, flex players, but guys who could get you something in return, Matt Farney, Oxon McKean, and Chauncey Golston.
1: Yeah, and really for the trades to even happen, there has to be a market for these guys. There has to be multiple teams kind of interested in their services. Those that also... um. Are low in the waiver priority. Well, what's how do you know that? We'll just take a look at last year's or you know, 2023's first round draft order, and that's the waiver priority. So the Bears they get first dibs on players that are waived. Um, so if you want to leap the Bears. That's why you'd kind of make a trade. Uh, That being said, I think Farniak sounds risky, but that's how Dallas was able to bolster their uh, defensive—I mean, their offensive line in 2018 um, with Parker Ellinger from the Chiefs, and then in 08 they did the same thing with. Montre Holland, who was a guard, who they got from the Broncos in 2008. So, you know, there's something to be said about that. I would look at trading either Cooper Rush or Will Greer, and Greer's kind of a long shot. But if there's a quarterback needy team, maybe i let Cooper Rush get away only if it doesn't affect the quarterback room. Uh, that'd also be risky because you've actually had to rely on Rush for the past two seasons. I would look and see if there's a market for Simi Fahoko. You know, because receivers. Is a bigger
0: market for Gleard and Fahoko, but I've just never been a fan of his. I know. His that's team why I threw that, that in he there.
1: Um, and then this would be the absolute nuclear option. I, I would look to trade Trayvon Diggs. if and only if, you can absolutely fleece a team that wants his services. Kind of like what usually happens when a coach and general manager is doubling up for the same role. But there's not really much of that going on these days. But it would have to be a situation like that.
0: Um, what position group are you looking to target in a return for a digs trade? You know, What are you trying to bolster? It,
1: it would depend on what the attrition is uh, in that situation. Uh, I would really look for draft picks. That's the only way that I would do something like that is with an eye for the future, because I think that I can get by with Gilmore and Bland and Nashawn Wright and maybe Kelvin Joseph. You know, it's their time to shine. But it would be just a, a real risk to do something like that, like I said, with an eye for the future.
0: Yeah, the way this team drafts, I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad idea to go ahead and try to get it ahead of a player that is going to be tough to lock into a, any type of team-friendly contract and then just turn that into picks, only on the fact that you've drafted specifically cornerbacks. Well, you know, you mentioned how much of a step up that would be for Daron Bland if that happens or how much of a vote of confidence that is in him. And that's somewhat warranted at this point, even though I'd warned that, you know, corners can be very finicky. Remember when Anthony Brown was the best thing we've ever seen his rookie year and he was making plays on the ball that we haven't seen from a Dallas corner in years and we thought we had the next best thing. And then his career was still valuable here. And I was at the game where we had a pick six against the Giants. And, you know, he, he was valuable as far as just being a guy who could play snaps in multiple positions and being in the right position at the right time to get turnovers and all those things. But, yeah, a vote of confidence in De'Ron Bland that might not quite yet be fully warranted but don't forget that, you know, guys like Israel McCormick could play some corner as well. And Trayvon Coase can be a slot defender. So, yeah, this team could get by without Trayvon Diggs. I think the scenario where we're talking about that is, you know, more likely if he's injured. And we're trying to come on here and figure out what it's going to look like without him. In an injury, the idea of a trade right now, you know, does seem a bit out there and far-fetched. But it could easily uh, happen if, you know, the draft pick capital is that good to get after a team that really needs, to rebuild a whole defense, what better way to start than with a shutdown corner to probably one of the hardest positions to find. Dan Quinn seems to have a way to find him with ease. So if you, you know, if you get the sense that Quinn is going to stick around and be a guy who's going to help you through those drafts and make those picks that you get back in the digs trade, and that easily could uh, start to make sense.
1: Also digs, like I said, is for consideration because he's entering the final year of his contract. So if you just kind of get the sense that this isn't going to work out. Um, maybe you let him get away. But then again, if he does play out the rest of his contract with you, and you know he's not going to be back, and someone's going to sign him some huge contract in the off season, think of the compensatory pick. So, but again, that's just, that would be a set of conditions that I don't think we will see that would warrant Trayvon Diggs getting traded. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's a fun exercise because they are going to have to go from 90 to 53, and that's going to be tough. And they may have some guys on there that other teams really want and can't afford to let just go through the entire waiver order.
0: Your new homework assignment. I know you talked to way more people connected to this league than I do. Your new homework assignment. Just start making calls and find the team willing to trade for Simi for okay. me. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> that and the pork roll sandwich.
0: If you do, I might have a new co-host next week. It's like, man, I found out the Mark just got hired by the Cowboy Scouting staff or something. It's like... You know, he got he got promoted. And now I got to find someone else to come sit here and talk sandwiches with.
1: Me. No, I, I what I would do is I'd show up my first day and say we like our guys, and then not <laughs> yeah. scout anybody.
0: We're trading all the picks for you know down the roster players and other teams because they're our guys.
1: Yeah, that's right. Let's go ahead and get some Cowboys birthdays on Wednesday. The future Hall of Famer or the eventual Hall of Famer, linebacker Chuck Alley turns eighty-seven. He's with Dallas from 1961 to 1963. Uh, he had a career-ending injury with the Bears, which is why the Cowboys were able to get a hold of him. And, well, he turned it around, and now he's going to be enshrined in Canton in August. And on Friday, Miles Austin, uh, 2006 to 2013, he turns 39 years old. On Friday, out of where, Sean?
0: Summit, New Jersey, and Mammoth University's first NFL player. So proud, the pride of the Mammoth Hawks from Long Branch.
1: And where is that in related to pork roller Taylor Ham?
0: Oh, uh, Mammoth University should be firmly in the uh, pork roll uh, territory. It's uh, the only like uh, Division One, like main sports type of college in the Mammoth and Ocean County area. So it's a uh, you know the only Jersey Shore school, if you will, that has Division One sports. It's you know there's Rutgers up north and then there's Monmouth down in the Shore area, and they've really built up the sports the past you know a couple of seasons to where they were less relevant. And of course, some fans might remember the basketball team with the bench mob, and they kind of started the whole bench thing, and was were on Sports Center every night with that. And then the football team has made some noise as well. So yeah, Miles was the first uh, football player of those to make it to the NFL, and. Play for the Cowboys and make an a name for himself out of Mammoth, and then I I will always remember his walk-off overtime touchdown against the Chiefs and Brad Sam's call of that play and his call of every big Miles Austin play, the whole Miles to go thing and capital play for his last name being Austin. So all of that good memories when it comes to Miles Austin's time with the Cowboys, and you know couldn't have picked a better team for him to go to as a fan, of course. And then
1: you think he believes in Central Jersey or no?
0: Uh, we'd have to find a way to ask him. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, because the school was like along the soil line, so it's like yeah, it's central, but it's also right there, facing against the coast. So like, it's hard to pinpoint that north, south, or central. It's more just east or west, and it's east. So yeah, I hope he uh, believes in central, Josie. But if not, Miles, I'm still a fan.
1: Okay, and then on Saturday, Garrett Gilbert, uh, turns twenty eight years old. He was a quarterback in twenty twenty for the Cowboys. Uh. Started against the Pittsburgh Steelers and, whoa, they almost won. And then they didn't because.
0: That game carried the most ridiculous amount of like what's the word for it, like, it just carried the most ridiculous amount of, like, hype for a game you didn't actually win ever, like, it was, like, two weeks worth of Twitter talk about Gilbert, like, I don't know, maybe they have something here, because he almost beat a middling Pittsburgh team, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen from the Cowboys fan base, but it was, it was kind of fun at the same time, you know we got some good jokes in, and we're, we're used to so, such bad backup quarterback play, that It's like, you know what, let we'll us have our fun and we almost won, but then Cooper Ross proved last year that we can actually win, so it put that to rest, but
1: yeah, I think with Garrett Gilbert, um, teams, they it, when there's that level of quarterback play, I think the opposition just says, we're just going to let them go this week and not really prioritize them in the game plan. And then I think that creates a lot of beginner's luck for guys like that. And then as soon as they start getting schemed against well that's really when you find out what you have and uh yeah they found, and the uh, Mike McCarthy knew cuz Andy Dalton came back real quick after that
0: the issue of Dalton being an established type of vet you know you could you, you can get to the point where he's being schemed against and he could still make plays and like you said that's such a struggle for any other young backup quarterback to get over I don't know how much teams are scheming against of us last year was more trying to get their own offensive scheme against Stan Quinn's defense, which became the mismatch that won the Cowboys a lot of games during that stretch. But yeah, going back to Dalton was the only move, despite what some fans were calling for.
1: Yeah. You've been listening to the Yardage the Podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, tune in and Stitcher. And Sean, we're just getting so close to training camp. Yet. We both feel like we're in the best shape of our lives.
0: (laughs) Always, man, getting those kayak uh, paddling miles in, getting ready for the pads to come on. We finally get to, you know, talk about football being football. We've compared it to netball. We've compared it to basketball and grass, which is still one of my favorite terms. I I really do like that. Um, We've compared it to every other sport besides football, but training camp is, you know, when we actually get to talk about it as a sport we all love and looking forward to that and the pads coming on having some real things to talk to one more quick note on the birthday list, by the way, I always do appreciate, you know, the, the thing I look at the most on it is where these players are from. And I look for, if we have any New Jersey names and Miles Austin being a big one this week is cool, but I can never look at wheeling West Virginia written down and not think of the Billy Joel song, a uh, ballad of Billy, the kid with the lyric a town known as wheeling West Virginia. So a uh, fair part to that. Cause I always associate seeing that written down, which isn't often with, uh, with that song. And I know you mentioned some, some bird song off the top as well. So we will always find ways to compare songs back to uh, this team. And even with a veteran guy like Chuck Howley going to the Hall of Fame and his playing days well behind him, find a way to do so there. So we're West Virginia, a state that also has a Point Pleasant, which is the same name as my hometown back in New Jersey. So there's a Point Pleasant, New Jersey, where I'm from. And then there's a Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It's
1: funny you bring up songs and all that stuff because I was sitting here thinking that Weird Al Yankovic needs to do a parody of Queen's These Are the Days of Our Lives, but about NFL players every offseason saying, (laughs) I'm in the best shape of my life. That would be great. You know, best shape of our lives. These are the best shapes of our lives or something.
0: I don't think he's done any Queen songs. I know he's done like some big-time rock ones. So, yeah, Queen would be like, it almost feels untouchable. Like, you don't want to parody something so iconic but he's already done that with like michael jackson and such so yeah he he should get on that i agree
1: yeah we'll we'll start it a twitter campaign all right sean we'll see you next week so there it is